Okay, um, I don't know. Sometimes people seem to be surprised that we talk about uh, sexual dysfunctions in abnormal psychology class. Because aren't we supposed to be talking about mental illnesses? Aren't these biological, medical illnesses? Well, of course, the answer to that is no. <laughs> That's why they're here. Um, uh, a lot of people tend to think about sexual functioning in biological terms, and of course, there are certainly uh, strong biological aspects to, um, to sexual behavior and sexual functioning. Um, <clears throat> but when it comes to um, problems of sexual functioning and, uh, and uh, sexual dysfunctions, um, I think it's wrong to assume that, um, that those, are, those sexual dysfunctions are going to be due to some underlying biological or medical kinds of issue. Probably part of the reason for that is that, you know, there are treatments for, particularly like for erectile disorder, uh, that involve taking a pill and then that helps with the erectile disorder or can help with the erectile disorder. Um, and so that's sort of, you know, I think in a lot of people's mind has moved uh, the treatment of sexual dysfunctions into a medical sphere. It's important to know, though, that... Um, that <laughs> that um, most of the time when people have sexual dysfunctions, they don't have a, uh, a biological medical problem that's underlying it. It's usually something else involved. Uh, and so um, uh, uh, clearly we've got to look at sexual behavior in a much more broad scope. Um, <clears throat> You've, um, you've taken psychology classes before, <laughs> I know you have, uh, and one of the themes that keeps coming up in psychology classes is multiple influences on human behavior, right? That human behavior is influenced by biological, psychological, soci sociocultural, all kinds of different influences. And if we really want to understand human behavior, we're going to have to look at a whole lot of different um, uh, influences, right? I don't know if I could think of a better example of that than human sexuality. Uh, human sexuality is definitely influenced by all of those different things. And, um, and so when it comes to looking for the root of a problem of sexual functioning, we're liable to have to look at all those areas as well. Um, a person's own uh, belief systems, their own personal experience, uh, their, um, their thoughts and emotions, uh, their society, their culture, uh, their relationship, uh, all kinds of other things that um, beyond um, beyond the biological, right? So that's um, uh, sexuality is a really good example of that. Um, anyway, so um, uh, so it does help here to start with a um, description of normal human sexual functioning. Uh, it is influenced by a lot of different kinds of things, but um, but we know some things about how human sex and sexuality works, and it's only with that kind of perspective that we can even talk about dysfunctions, right? Dysfunction meaning a problem of normal kinds of sexual functioning. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, a lot of different possible kinds of influences on human sexuality. Um, uh, another thing about human sexual dysfunctions in general is that they're not rare. Um, you know, depending upon diagnosis and how close you are, uh, how uh, strict you are in diagnosis, but, um, you know, sex therapists will generally say that, um, that half or more of all couples will encounter some sort of sexual problem at some point in their relationship. Now, uh, uh, again, I'm not necessarily saying that that's a diagnosable sexual dysfunction, in half of relationships, but, you know, there are problems of sexual functioning that are pretty common, right? Uh, and so, one of the, um, 
uh, one of the distinguishing factors here between just a regular run-of-the-mill kind of difficulty with sex and a sexual dysfunction is if that problem is persistent and if it causes distress. Um, uh, causing distress is an important part of determining whether or not this is a diagnosable dysfunction or not. Uh, for example, um, you'll see that, uh, that there are diagnoses in this um, class of disorders related to low levels of sexual interest or desire, right? Um, well, we could have two different people. One of them has low level of interest or desire in sex, and it doesn't bother them. They're happy with that. They don't really care about it. Uh, and another person with low level of sexual desire or interest, and it bothers them, and it's causing them trouble. And um, and one of those people can get the, get a diagnosis, and the other wouldn't, right? Depending upon whether or not there's this self-identified distress. Um, and that's an important point to know here, that um, to a large extent, we can't necessarily tell just from the behavior itself, uh, frequency, duration, interest, um, you know, anything like that, we got to look at um, the effect on the person. Is it leading to distress for making that distinction of whether or not it's, um, it's a diagnosable uh, dysfunction? The other part of this is that um, to be diagnosable as a sexual dysfunction, problems have to be ongoing for a while. They have to be um, persistent. And uh, I believe the general... Um, Criteria in the DSM-5 um, uh, are uh, specify six months or more that this is occurring. There may be some that it's three months or more, but um, but anyway, um, and and the reason for that is to get at the idea that occasional problems in sexual functioning are completely normal. <laughs> that is, um, that is, people will run into difficulties of erection or vaginal lubrication or orgasm occasionally here and there, and that just seems to happen, and it's not necessarily a sign of a dysfunction. Um, <clears throat> uh, occasional problems should be considered to be normal, right? Uh, it's when those problems get to be persistent or ongoing for a long time, or a person has a long period of uh, difficulty with a particular aspect of sexual functioning, and or it's causing them distress, then we start to look at a diagnosis here. Um, the sexual dysfunctions are also uh, very likely to be diagnosed with a subtype um, to, um, uh, to quali or a qualifier in some way um, to give more information about the sexual dysfunction diagnosis itself. And um, for example, there are subtypes of sexual dysfunctions that are lifelong or acquired lifelong or acquired sexual dysfunctions. Um, and that's an important distinction, right? Uh, if someone has, let's say, they have difficulty with, um, uh, with reaching orgasm, and that person has never experienced orgasm, versus another person who has previously had a, a period of normal orgasmic functioning in their life, and is now currently going through an extended period, three more months, uh, where they're unable to orgasm. Those may be different things, right? Those may be different kinds of problems. And, um, uh, and so lifelong versus acquired uh, it can be a useful distinction in the subtypes. Uh, another useful distinction for subtypes is generalized versus situational dysfunctions. Generalized would mean that the uh, sexual problem is happening across the board in any kind of sexual situation at all, whether that be uh, uh, fantasy, masturbation, uh, sexual arousal while you're asleep, sex with a partner, oral sex, whatever, right? Um, 
uh, if it's um so then uh, versus situational where it's only happening in some situations and not others. Uh, for example, if um if a person's having difficulty with um with erection, and he is unable to have an erection, you know, while he sleeps or um for masturbation or uh, with a partner or whatever, then that would be generalized probably. Whereas if it's only in certain kinds of sexual situations and not for others, then it would be situational. And that's also an important distinction, as you might guess, when it comes to talking about potential underlying causes, right? Uh, sexual dysfunctions are also um, subtyped according to um, severity, uh, also mild, moderate, severe, and that mostly goes according to uh, how long it's been a persistent problem for the person and how much distress it's causing. Now, um, in previous editions of the DSM, they really tried to tie sexual dysfunction diagnoses to particular um, uh, phases or stages in the human sexual response cycle. And that's a useful way of looking at things uh, for a few reasons. One is, you know, we're going to talk about dysfunction, so it makes sense to tie that to a particular stage of functioning, right? Having a problem at this stage. It also was a nice reminder that just because people were having, people may have difficulty in one phase of the human sexual response cycle doesn't necessarily that they mean that they may have I'm sorry, doesn't necessarily mean that they have difficulty in others. A person could, for example, have low levels of sexual desire or interest. You know, they may be indifferent uh, to sex and may not be going out looking for sexual um, uh, opportunities. Um, but, um, but if they do engage in sexual behaviors, they may then have no problem with sexual arousal and orgasm, right? So, um, so it's not necessarily so that, um, that a problem in one stage uh, leads to um, uh, problems in other stages, right? So that was a nice thing about trying to set it out according to the stages of the sexual response cycle. One big problem with that, though, is that the sexual response cycle um, models are a bit artificial, particularly, uh, and they're too rigid, actually, particularly when it comes to female sexuality. Um, much more of the research on female sexuality in the last 40 years, 30, 40 years, you know, has shown that it's really difficult to distinguish um, uh, desire and arousal uh, in females, and that many times arousal, the physiological part, precedes desire, the emotional or cognitive part, uh, and that, um, you know, um, for men it may make sense to break those out into different stages and even talk about diagnoses affecting uh, different parts of it. Uh, but for women, it doesn't make as much sense, right? And so the main thing that's gone against that um, uh, that uh, that uh, organization of diagnoses according to stage of the sexual response cycle has to do with that distinction in um, in female sexuality. And so it used to be that there was a diagnosis for low level of female sexual interest and also a separate diagnosis for uh, problems of female sexual arousal. Those are combined now in the DSM um, because of a lot of that more recent research in female sexuality. So, um, so that, um, that means that it, you know, overall it doesn't fit as neatly into the, um, uh, the, the classification scheme as it was intended. But, you know, that's how humans are. And so uh, we've got to adapt our classification schemes to go along with that. Um, that's really the main exception to the idea that um, that we can tie a particular diagnosis 
to a particular stage of the human sexual response cycle. So it is still a, a useful way of thinking about things. Um, the other thing is that uh, there are, well, there's actually now just one diagnosis related to pain uh, with sexuality. Um, uh, we don't have a pain stage <clears throat> in the sexual response cycle. That's not normally a part of human sexual uh, uh, functioning. However, if there are pain symptoms at any point related to sexual arousal, orgasm, even after orgasm, uh, then that would be um, diagnosed under this umbrella term that has a really awkward name. It's now called genitopelvic pain penetration disorder. And the reason it's such an awkward term is because they kind of took a lot of different um, possibilities for sexually related pain and put them into this one overall umbrella category. Notice that that diagnosis could be diagnosed in males or females. Um, that one's not specific to, um, uh, to sex or gender. And, um, and it could involve any kind of pain. And there we would usually look for what's the underlying cause of pain and try to treat that. Uh, one exception to that, um, that there's usually a physical underlying cause for pain, is vaginismus. Vaginismus is one um, that is... Uh, does seem to be more purely psychological, um, uh, and, you know, treatment's going to be a little bit different. Uh, but, you know, in general, there are a lot of different things that could potentially lead to pain with sexual um, arousal, sexual behavior, sexual orgasm, uh, or even after orgasm. And, you know, so they would all kind of fall under that one diagnosis. All right, um, so let's see, sexual dysfunctions. Um <clears throat> 